Hi, I'm Jillian Swinford. And I'm Haley Brolison. And this is Mother Nature Will Kill You. A podcast about the most horrific tragedies and the most triumphant survival stories that the wilderness can provide. So grab your backpack and maybe a bottle of wine and let's go on a wild ride into the unknown. Walking down this road I go, but I am going alone, running far, far from home, till I am skin and bone. everybody hello hello and um merry christmas slash happy holidays as we are coming to you i think this episode drops like on the 26th or the 27th so it's like Mm. right after right after christmas so um i hope you all are enjoying time with your families and all that stuff and uh yeah so how are how are we doing Doing all right. Doing a lot better than I was last weekend. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Haley's been having some fainting episodes. Yeah. Just one. Good. Just right. one. Just one, one pretty big one that was a little scary. That made me go to the hospital, but it's fine. <laughs> I know. You just need to, we just need to stop working so much. We just all need a freaking like break. I need a break. Um, yeah. The cost of living was kind of go down like a little bit a lot easier to not work so much <laughs> right right yeah it'd be fucking great but um that being said I am very happy because I no longer have to um take care of flounder um over the holiday so we actually get to go home and see our families and we haven't been to Virginia in two years I that's think. so nice yeah, the last time we were there was the Christmas before the pandemic. So that December. Honestly, like kind of same when it comes to Christmas. Like, mm-hmm. well, I take it back because last Christmas it was just me and my parents, but we weren't really, we didn't do like the big family Christmas as we normally do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's been it's been rough because my dad can't travel anymore. Um, and so uh, on a plane for sure cannot travel. Yeah. So Jeez. it's uh you know, we either go to him or we don't, don't see him. And so I haven't seen him in person in, in two years. It's just been, it's like way too long. Um, and it's been very stressful for me trying to figure out if we're even going to be able to go. So that's great. And I'm happy about it. And um, by the time this podcast drops, uh, we'll, uh, I'll be in Virginia. So and we'll probably be recording an episode in person. <laughs> Which will be so nice. It'll be in, like crazy. No more internet issues. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Jeez. But so today I'm attempting to record in a different spot to see if that helps with our internet connectivity problems. But of course, 
uh, today there's a cold front moving in. Um, so we'll see how it goes. It's always something, isn't it? Yeah. It's there's yes. So yeah. Um, doesn't feel like Christmas here yet. Um, it's like was 78 and humid as hell outside this morning. I was just like, this is not, uh, yeah, no, thank you. I saw your Instagram post and I was like, girl, same. <laughs> like I was on the phone with my mom yesterday. Cause she was like, is it cold down there? Do I need to wear jeans when I come? And I was like, no mom. I was like, it's 84 degrees and it's 73% humidity. Like yeah. no. <laughs> you gross. do not need pants down here. Yeah, Christmas in the South is like a weird thing. But then I remember that like you could be an Australian and be celebrating Christmas right now. And it's literally like the hottest time of the year because their seasons are reversed. And that's yeah. even weirder to me. Yeah. <laughs> so. so also speaking about Australia, I learned this morning that uh, it's called the Upside Down Continent. Yeah. I had no idea that like that was a thing. And my friend who's Australian sent me like an Instagram reel of like, and it was a joke. And when they got to Australia, everything was flipped upside down and then went to like other, co- other countries and mm-hmm. um, they were right side up again. And I was like, wait, why is Australia upside down? And she was like, are you joking? I was like, the, and I didn't say anything because I was like, if she's asking if I'm joking, that means like I should know this. And apparently everybody else knows this. <laughs> So I started Googling instead. <laughs> yeah. And then, like by the time I went back to the message, she had sent me like a couple of links and I was like, oops, yeah, definitely just learned that this morning. Did not realize. Yeah. It's just a variation of like the land down under, right? Yeah. It's like one of the only continents that's like entirely in the Southern hemisphere, except for Antarctica, which like nobody lives there. So the only people there are scientists. So it's not like all their seasons are backwards there's like this rumor that's gone around where like their toilets flush backwards and all this I've dumb heard stuff that yeah but i just like, like never no. heard the upside down thing <laughs> so yeah i was like oh okay yeah sense, yeah so um we had a listener story come in we it's did kind of graphic it kind of is, yeah. I didn't really read it all through yet, actually, because I was like, oh, just, oh, well, the photo is fucking graphic. Thanks, David. <laughs> um, God. <laughs> yeah, so my friend David, him and I went to college together, um, and he is a fisheries biologist out west, um, and believe he's in Yellowstone area right now. I could be completely wrong, but he's like in that general area of out west so does he study like trout and that kind of stuff yeah he was doing stuff in yellowstone like last year i guess or Mm -hmm. two years ago maybe yeah um um but yeah he goes he's like the west uh national park um like yellowstone grand canyon like that type of area mm -hmm. i guess he does uh trout surveys out there gotcha okay yeah um so yeah so that's him known since college we did marine biology together um and yeah he sent in a story he actually had told me a couple months ago like when we first started this that like him and his intern or or someone that he works with um was like on a I think it was like a four-hour drive for one of their sampling things and they just like listened to our episodes the whole yes. time and I was like oh that's so nice 
Listen um, to our terrible audio quality and talking over each other. Honestly, <laughs> I'm like, man, if you guys can bear with it from the beginning, like you're a solid friend. So uh, right. thank you, David. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he writes this story and, and uh, he says, so while I was on my first Grand Canyon electroshocking tour, I was hiking along the old Bright Angel Creek Trail. While this trail used to be the main trail, it's now basically a glorified game trail. And I'm assuming a glorified game trail is just pretty much like a different version of a horse trail where it's like you can see that the grass is stomped down, but it's not like any sort of like large, wide dirt kind of. Yeah, you can tell that like animals have moved through. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he says... um, kind of technical and exposed in spots and pretty overgrown with every spiky plant in the desert well while hiking back to the bunk house did you raise your hand no I just gave you an oh. okay <laughs> oh, okay cool cool <laughs> I was like am I okay um he says well well wow why do I have such a problem saying that well while he was hiking back to the bunk house at the end of the day he started to go downhill and slipped on the loose dirt <laughs> been there Jesus, that sucks. Um, He goes, anyways, get up and start hiking again because I was all right. After the shock of the fall starts to wind down, my elbow starts to sting. So I turn around to another tech who was behind me and say, hey, how bad is my arm bleeding? Because it kind of stings. He replies with, holy shit, dude, you have a spine in your elbow. (laughs) (laughs) He goes, kind of confused. I like go to grab at it and see, but I couldn't figure out where it was so I decided we will deal with it while we're at the bunkhouse which was less than a mile away he says uh but they get back to camp and thankfully it came out pretty smooth he was just chilling eating a snickers while a couple other techs pulled out and wait or pulled it out pulled the spine out and uh waited with the bandage surprisingly it didn't bleed at all he goes anyways went back the next morning to get our to get our sample site and saw the spot where I fell No joke, the agave plant that stabbed me had other spines a couple inches from where the back of my neck and head would have been where I fell. Thankfully, it was just my elbow as a head or neck stabbing would have been a minor inconvenience. (laughs) Minor inconvenience. (laughs) And then he sends some photos and geez Louise, it is like, it it is in his elbow. Yeah, it's it's not like bloody really at all, but it is it is in there. And if you are squeamish, it is not it's not a good time for you. Yeah, <laughs> like it, it's a double puncture. That's how mm-hmm. I would define that as. Like yeah, it like, goes in his elbow, and it comes out, and then it goes in again a little bit further yeah. up in his elbow skin. It's almost like a nose piercing or like a lip piercing, yeah. but like in your arm. <laughs> Yeah, that's really not even bleeding. <laughs> I was funny. He's like, man, my elbow kind of hurts. Like, how was that fall, guys? And I'm like, damn, you guys. <laughs> I, I have done that so many times where I like hit something hard, and, but I don't feel like that feeling you get when you're cut, you know, I just feel like it was a bruise. And then I get yeah. out of the water and it's like, no, you definitely cut yourself on some oysters go clean that out right now otherwise yeah. you're gonna get vibrio and die like <laughs> yeah I am uh I still have some scars on my legs from when I had some oysters cut me like two years ago mm-hmm. two or three years ago very yeah. glad I did not get vibrio, vibrio and die 
Oh yeah, it's a problem here in the summertime too. So I'm always on quarry. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the like kind of flesh eating essentially bacteria for all of you guys that don't know. Vibrio can kill you within days. Yeah, um, if you're not like on it and cleaning out your wounds. So if you're ever in the southern Atlantic or Gulf Coast and you get cut by an oyster, clean that the fuck out as soon as you get cut. But anyway, so yeah, I probably. We probably won't post it on Instagram because I don't like. I feel like people. it would get banned. Yeah, we'd have to put like a sensitive content warning, but it is. Yeah, it's it's a it's grossy gross. Yeah, but we can put the one where he's holding he's holding it in his hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. that's yeah fun because it's it's a pretty thick uh spine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like almost like looks like a porcupine quill kind of. Yeah, it, you that's know? what I thought of as well. Yeah. And it's scary enough, like hiking in the Grand Canyon and like sliding down like the trail and like, <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, it's scary. Um, I didn't know that they had spines on them. But agave? I didn't either. According to Wikipedia, the succulent leaves of most agave species have sharp marginal teeth, an extremely sharp terminal spine, and uh, are very fibrous inside. The stout stem is usually extremely short, which may make the plant appear as though it is stemless. So, yeah, if you have any other, um, <laughs> if anybody has any stories, we always talk about this at the end, but send them in. We want to hear about it. It doesn't have to be like you almost died, but because um, we don't we don't want people to die. That's not the goal of this, even though it's in the title. <laughs> But if you yeah. had like a close call or like an injury or something where you were kind of out in the middle of nowhere and made it difficult, um, you can submit all of that to our website, which is Mother Nature Will Kill You Podcast. Dot com. Yeah. All right. Alrighty. Um, shall we get into the story that <laughs> you are going to be so frustrated with? <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. So today's a Haley special. Because, because it's gonna frustrate Jillian. Because <laughs> I she can't write it. <laughs> I felt like I couldn't tell it like like the you know bystander that I should be because the story really frustrates me and I don't want to like say bad things about somebody who's died <laughs> at all. I feel like every paragraph you would make an aside and just go on like a five minute rant. <laughs> don't I anyway? <laughs> kind of. But I feel like it'd be more. Uh, pronounced in this episode if you wrote it <laughs> yes um all right so go ahead Alrighty. <laughs> so this episode is uh also a book and a movie which i knew was a book but i didn't know that it was written by john krakauer mm-hmm. and when i saw that i was like oh that's like jillian's guy that's my guy yeah, yeah that's he- a guy he was on the 1996 Everest team that ended in tragedy that we talked about in episode two. He's one of the survivors from that, but he's written a lot of other stuff, including this book and um, another book called Under the Kingdom of Heaven, which is about extremist fundamentalist Mormons. And it is a uh, just... That sounds like a doozy. It, you got to prepare yourself mentally, especially <laughs> as a woman. But anyway, so... <laughs> Yeah, so uh, this is, I guess we'll figure out an episode title later, but um, I feel like 
we should just name it what it's known as, which is Into the Wild. Mm-hmm. So um, for those of you who do not know the story uh, or have seen the movie, um, come on this ride with us. Mm-hmm. But if you have read the book, seen the movie, know the story, um, you know what we're going to talk about. Um, so Into the Wild is what the mo- the, the book was named, right? I think they're that. both named Into the Wild. That's what I thought. I need to scroll all the way down to the bottom of Because I just saw it on Netflix last night and I was like, mm, should I watch it? And I was like, no. I wait. thought about watching it before <laughs> I wrote this too. But I was like, man, I'm just going to get like distracted and I'm not going to end up really watching it. Yeah. Yeah. So Cracker wrote the book Into the Wild. And um, yes, it was adopted as a movie that was also called Into the Wild. We'll get into that later. Um, so I pulled most of my information from All That's Interesting and Wikipedia. So just bear with me. Um, so the story is about this guy named Chris McCandless. And he was born on February 12th, 1968. Um, I guess he also had his self-made nickname, which he called himself Alexander. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. <laughs> Don't know where Alexander came from, but he did that. All right. Yep. <clears throat> He was an American adventurer who sought an increasingly nomadic lifestyle as he grew up. And um, he was born in El Segundo, California. He was the oldest of his parents. And he had a younger sister named Karen. And I believe it's her name is Karen, but the way it's spelled looks like Karine. So if I flub that up, just bear with me. (laughs) Um, But yeah, he had a younger sister named Karen. He also had six half-siblings from his dad's first marriage who lived with their mother in California and then later in Denver. In 1976, his family relocated to Virginia, where his father was hired as an antenna specialist for the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, otherwise known as NASA. Oh, I didn't know he was uh, lived in Virginia. I didn't realize that. Yeah, I didn't really realize that either until I was going through this, which I thought was pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were they were relocated to Annandale, so kind of like around our area. Yep, that's, you know, kind of in our back door, but kind of not because you still have to drive like an hour. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so long story short, his parents are successful business people and they live a comfortable, if not more than comfortable lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um. From a quick Google search or Wikipedia read, it appears that him and his siblings grew up in an abusive household that was fueled by his father's alcoholism. Although his sister had written a um, a biography, I guess it would be. Uh, I don't know if she, take it back. I don't really know if she wrote a biography or what, but she came out to pretty much talk about the physical and emotional abuse that they were brought up in. Okay. And uh, her, their parents deny the claims. So yeah, uh, I don't, I don't remember that from the movie, from the movie, they made it seem like it was like a very loving, wholesome family. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, From the movie, it really just seems like he grew up rich and he was this rich kid and just really Mm -hmm. wanted to break away from the rich lifestyle and know what it was like to kind of survive on your own. And that's kind of how he fell into the nomad lifestyle. Um, But from reading up on him a little bit of wikipedia searches um Mm -hmm. 
I kind of get the vibe where it was more of like a money was hung over their head to manipulate them to do whatever their parents wanted to. And then once he graduated college, he kind of pieced out because he was like, fuck this, I'm over it. That makes more sense because I was always like, oh, wow, what privilege that you can just decide to go live this lifestyle that other people are forced into by (laughs) poverty. And, you know, you always knowing that you have something to fall back on in case like it goes bad. Right. I feel like a lot of people do that with like the van life and the bus life. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Super cute buses, super cute bins, guys. But Very attractive lifestyle. Like being able to work and travel at the same time that's ideal but but a lot of people just do it because they have to and it it just it's you know it's it's a privilege but now that I know that that makes more sense that he would want to be like okay I'm out of here Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and so um you're gonna get a kick out of this actually because in 1986 he graduated from W.T. Woodson High School in Fairfax Virginia <laughs> when I was like writing this I was like no shit oh that's like right in our backyard <laughs> yeah and uh it appears that he excelled academically although a number of his teachers and fellow students observed that he quote-unquote marched to the beat of a different drummer um and while in high school he also served as the captain of the cross-country team in the summer of 1986 he traveled to southern California and reconnected with distant relatives and friends. And that's when he learned about having half siblings from his father's previous marriage. Mm -hmm. And when John Krakauer wrote his book, um, he speculated that this event may have had a profound impact on him and Mm -hmm. um, the way he saw things thereafter. Um, So he ended up graduating Emory University in May of 1990 with a bachelor's degree in the double majors of history and anthropology. So nothing about biology. Well, I guess anthropology is an ology, but nothing about um, outdoors is what I'm trying to say. Not useful for what he's going to eventually be doing. (laughs) Yeah. And um, up until now, like I really didn't find anything about him being an outdoorsman like it didn't mm-hmm. seem like there was any history of his family going on like camping trips or anything like that um in an early age in his lifetime it didn't seem like they did anything outdoorsy um so I don't know just like imagine if you didn't grow up being outdoorsy and then you're like what 21 22 years old graduating college and decide to just like hit the road <laughs> No. like that sounds super inexperienced if you ask me. yeah especially because like I have grown up doing things outdoorsy and I could I would never do that are you kidding me mm-hmm. I, I know like, responsibilities and I like I, I like houses I like houses houses you like routine good. probably too right you need mm-hmm. a routine I feel like I'm people a, need routines yeah yeah I like my king-sized bed um. <laughs> you have a king size man that's nice yes it was a, a covid splurge and honestly we needed it because we're big people <laughs> i take over the entire beds so. i feel like no bedroom down in the keys would fit a king size bed <laughs> like yeah. i have a queen in here and i'm like i don't know two feet from my closet doors so that's fun <laughs> <laughs> anyway um So after he graduated college, he donated his college savings of 24 grand. Um, I guess Wikipedia approximated this to be about 50 grand in 2021. 
So he donated about 24 grand to Oxfam, which is a British founded organization compiled of 20 different charities that benefit the alleviation of global poverty. So he donated to um, a good cause. After he graduated, sorry, go ahead. No, it's like you're going to bring up all this information. It's going to make me feel bad for (laughs) (laughs) having strong opinions. Yes. Okay. (laughs) After he graduated from Emory University, Chris adopted a vagabond lifestyle working when necessary as a restaurant food preparer and a farmhand. Um, I kind of am indifferent about how Wikipedia paints him as an avid outdoorsman. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm just going to continue to use that term since it's, you know, the name of the story. As an avid outdoorsman, Chris completed several lengthy, lengthy wilderness hiking trips and paddled a canoe down a portion of the Colorado River before hitchhiking to Alaska in April of 1992. There, he entered the Alaskan bush with minimal supplies, hoping to simply live off the land. It's that minimal supply thing that always gets me because it's like people don't, even if they do live in the bush, they have tools, you know, they have stuff because we're, you know, while you may want to go live out in the middle of nowhere, that's, that's fine. I don't have an issue with that, but like, I don't know. It's just without certain supplies, without certain tools, I mean, we're humans. We created these tools for a reason. We have these brains for a reason. That's our survival tool is mm-hmm. the ability to like use and have things. So I'm just saying, what all did he have? Do you know? I don't necessarily at this point in time, but I will get to that a little bit later down the line. Okay. Because all that I really talked about at this point was just kind of very like overview. Cause if you like, um, remember I said something about him graduating in 1990 and then I just mentioned that he ends up in Alaska in 1992 so there's two years in between that like I'm gonna get into oh so, okay All right, yeah let's, let's do it so he graduates in 1990 and ends up in Alaska in 1992 and in the years between um, he left Virginia in the summer of 1990 driving a sedan type of car west in an apparent cross-country trip attempting to reach California Um, unfortunately his car was not in good condition and it suffered numerous breakdowns as he made his way from the East coast. Um, so part of this whole vagabond lifestyle, um, he also carried no car insurance on the vehicle and was driving with an expired license plates. So yeah, most would think this is pretty unusual for someone that came from an established family. Um, but I think this was just another form of his rebellion for him breaking ties with the financial stability of his abusive upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of what I was thinking in that sense. I get the no car insurance because a lot of people don't have car insurance, but the license, like, I, it's like he was trying to literally go off the grid so like nobody could find him. That's... Exactly. Yeah. He's like, I just don't want to be associated with any of this type of lifestyle anymore so I'm gonna make a brand new lifestyle um so by the end of the 1990 summer he had reached the Lake Mead National Recreation Area which is an area in Nevada about seven miles from the Hoover Dam and it's about 32 miles from Las Vegas um I've actually camped here before and I really like that area I thought it was Mm -hmm. really pretty and it was clean um, 
But this is the same location where a flash flood disabled his car beyond repair. And um, as we all know, that's like that area of the States. I feel like a lot of flash floods happen out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's unfortunate that the flash flood that occurred disabled his car. Um, but he was afraid of getting fined or possibly even arrested because he lacked a valid license and registration and insurance. So he removed the car's license plates, took what he could carry and kept moving on foot. And uh, I have a fun fact here because I thought this was pretty fun. His car was later found repaired and put into service as an undercover vehicle for the local police department. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so now he's traveling northwest. Uh, he hitchhiked to the Sierra Nevadas, um, and he ran out of supplies and food there. As a result, he started going on a burglary streak. He broke into an abandoned cabin to steal food, supplies, and money. Um, Throughout the winter of 1990 and in 1991, it appears he lived in hermit camps with other vagrants in the Sierra Nevada region. Um, he was suspected of burglarizing other cabins, and when food or he's, excuse me, he was suspected of burglarizing other cabins when food and money ran low, but only one case was ever positively confirmed by the authorities. Mm. Yeah, see that I'm not okay with, you know, because, you know, I'm all for like eat the rich and all that shit, but like, you don't know, you don't know if that's somebody's summer home or if it's like somebody's actual home and they're, they're trying to live <laughs> off grid too. And like, they needed that those resources that's you know you chose to donate your money and you chose to do this now you're choosing to take stuff from other people like yeah like donate a lot of money to like a good cause but also like maybe keep a couple grand as a safety stash for yourself right so you're (laughs) stealing from people (laughs) yeah you can buy more food when you need it or like the proper supplies um yeah so yeah like on one hand, you're like, look at me. I'm like a philanthropist. I'm don- donating all my money to a good cause. But then on the other hand, I'm going to steal food. Like whenever I feel like I need it. Like, mm-hmm. uh, no, I'm not okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> you're going to have some thoughts about the next fun fact I'm about to tell you too. Oh, no. <laughs> so then in 1991, he gets arrested in Mexico. Mm-hmm. <laughs> did you know that no I, I didn't even know he went to mexico me neither this is so fun to look into <laughs> um so in early 1991 he left the sierra, ne- sierra nevada and hitchhiked in a circular course south through california into arizona and then north to south dakota completely out of cash with no means to support himself he obtained a job as a grain elevator operator in carthage south dakota He worked at this job for the remainder of 1991 until one day suddenly quitting and leaving his supervisor a postcard that read, quote, tramping is too easy with all this money. My days were more exciting when I was penniless and had to forage around for my next meal. I've decided that I'm going to live this life for some time to come, end quote. Okay. All right, man. Like, why why even write that? Who cares? Just be like, I'm quitting. This isn't for me. Okay, bye. Like, why do you have to, like, this is why I can't do this one. <laughs> um, You're like, I'm the, trying not to be a dick right now, but also. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, that's like that, you know, everyone's like, oh, well, why do you want to climb Everest? Why do you want to go to Antarctica? Why do you want to do this and that? And it's like an adrenaline 
thing and mm-hmm. like a, to achieve something. So like his version of that is just not having money and trying to live in the United States mm-hmm. without any money, which is yeah, like exactly back to so many people do that all the time because they're forced into it and he gets to just choose. You know, yeah. When anyway, I don't know. <laughs> I see what you're saying. Yeah. It was more of like, a, Oh, I have such a rush of being homeless. Right. No. But it's like saying that just sounds so fucking privileged. <laughs> it does. It really does. <laughs> yeah. Um, <clears throat> so after he quits his job, he heads to Colorado where he used money from his job to buy a kayak. Uh, uh, I'm skipped. Ooh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, where he used money from his job to buy kayak supplies as well as a handgun. He then navigated the Colorado River. You're going to love this part. Without a permit. And was occasionally pursued by wildlife and park rangers who had heard of his exploits from other river travelers, several of whom had been concerned that his uh, his uh, river navigation had been a little bit dangerous because he mm-hmm. was seen whitewater rafting in some dangerous areas of the river and he didn't have any safety equipment. Mm. So collectively, reports of his reckless behavior were received at Lake Havasu. Bill Williams River, the Colorado River Reservoir, Cibola Wildlife Refuge, Imperial Wildlife Refuge, and Yuma Ground. The authorities attempted but never succeeded in locating him, uh, who was wanted due to his lack of proper river training, as well as operating on the river without a valid boating license. Mm-hmm. He eventually followed the Colorado River, excuse me, all the way to Mexico, where he crossed the international border through a spillway at the Morelos Dam. After encountering waterfalls through which he could no longer navigate in a canoe or kayak, whatever he was in, Chris abandoned his river journey and spent a few days alone at the village of El Golfo de Santa Clara Mm. or Clara in the province of Sonora. So he's just like decided that the rules don't apply to him at all because he's homeless or whatever. Well, it's one of those things where it's like, does he know that what he's doing is illegal or is he choosing to do that? Yeah, I think he, he does, but that's just me. I mean, and I get like, you know, not wanting to get a boating permit or a river rafting permit. And like, if you want to, you know, go do some rapids that you're not prepared for, and that's your, that's your own prerogative, but there's reasons for a lot of this stuff for other people's safety. And like, if something happened to him, then the authorities would have to either put their lives in safety to go rescue this person or um, have to, you know, spend money recovering a body. So it's like, there's reasons for and crossing international borders without like identification you probably shouldn't you probably shouldn't do that <laughs> it's yeah. not the best idea definitely not the best idea so speaking from someone who got stopped and searched at the border not mm-hmm. the best idea mm-hmm. like, <laughs> that's just, for a different story though <laughs> like you think u.s prisons are bad you don't want to end up in a mexican prison just just don't, don't even don't go there it. <laughs> <laughs> um So he actually found Mexico pretty intimidating and he didn't have any way to support himself. So he attempted to re-enter the States and Mm -hmm. was arrested for carrying a firearm at a border checkpoint. Right. 
that's what happened. Um, yeah. And he was briefly held in custody, but released without charges after his gun was confiscated. So at least he got out. Um, but following his, ooh, excuse me, following his experience in Mexico, Chris began hitchhiking north, eventually winding back up in South Dakota, which is where he left from to hitchhike for his journey to Alaska in 1992. So all up until now, he's kind of been all up in that west, north, mm. west kind of thing. Yeah. Just like the western half, I guess yeah. I would say. Yeah, yeah. He's all over on that side. Yeah. So we're going to talk about Alaska in 1992 now. Let's do it. The year I was born, actually. That sounds like a good year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm pretty partial to 93, but, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> so in April of 1992, Chris hitchhiked from South Dakota to Fairbanks, Alaska. Witnesses described him to be traveling with a big backpack and said that he would give a false name if asked for his identity. This false name was Alex because that's what his self nicknamed uh, uh, name was. So he didn't just randomly as a child be like, I'm not going to be Chris anymore. My name's Alexander. <laughs> yeah, no, it was just like his name was Chris, okay. but like when he was traveling, I guess his name was Alex. Because he was trying to get be off be a new know, person. The radar. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> um so he was described as a very suspicious and uh, unkempt and was smelling due to the lack of hygiene. Uh, which is yeah clean bath sense. bathing just even like, jump in the river use some dr bronner's like i don't know just because you're living off the grid doesn't mean that you have to like neglect all hygiene like i don't i'm sorry no yeah wet no. wipes there's wipes. A, a lot of things you can do dry shampoo get get a gym membership go use their showers deodorant yeah i don't know uh yeah so anyway One witness described him as, quote, generally strange, weird, and with a weird energy, end quote. Can you hear Waylon? Not a good vibe. Can you hear the thunder? I can't, but Waylon just barked, so I was like, ooh. Hopefully, yeah, yeah, I can't hear him. It's coming. Um, The front's coming. I love that thunderstorm. No, you're good. Um, Okay, so pause and pause. Um, In the summer of 1992, Chris was seen at Delta Junction, Alaska, and was then last seen alive at the head of the Stampede Trail on April 28th by a local electrician named Jim Galleon. And I'm going to pause for a second because when I was in Alaska, we were very close to the trailhead of uh, the Stampede Trail. So Okay, that's right. You told me that. Yeah. Yeah. So we thought about going to it, but it was also just one of those things where we were just like, yeah, we had other other things on our list that were higher. Right. And priority. like cons- considering what happened there, it's kind of a morbid thing to yeah, do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just one of those things too, where I think a lot of people go there and it's more of like a tourist attraction more yeah. than just kind of like being in the wild. And mm. uh, we just kind of wanted to do more of like the wilderness part of Alaska, which I mean, that is the wilderness part, but you know, it's, there's a yeah. difference between like a tourist wilderness area mm-hmm. and a wilderness area. So. Yeah. Yeah. And the girl that we were going with one of them, she had worked a couple summers in Denali. So she had all of these things that she wanted to do with us and show us. So it was great. Yeah. Um, so Galleon, I'm assuming that's how you pronounce his last name. It's G-A-L-L-I-E-N. Let's go for it. Okay. 
He had given Chris a ride from Fairbanks to the start of the rugged track just outside of the small town of Healy. Later said, or I guess, what's his name? Galleon, Galleon later said that he had been seriously concerned about the safety of Chris, who introduced himself as Alex, after noticing his light pack, minimal equipment, meager rations, and obvious lack of experience. He said that he had deep doubts about his ability to survive the harsh and unforgiving Alaskan bush. Yeah. So um, I've been to Alaska. I've been to Healy. 49th State Brewing Company is in Healy. And it um, is a cool little spot. Fun fact, the bus from the movie is at that brewery. And so that's kind of one of their quote unquote local attractions Mm -hmm. in that sense. Yeah. and as someone who has visited the same area that Chris was in, I can totally see why Galleon would be concerned about his ability to survive. Yeah. <laughs> because we were living, we were trying to backpack camp, but we also had a, a car that we kept a lot of things in. And we also were, you know, going through town and getting coffee in the mornings. And, you know, we had gone grocery shopping and packed our bags with like enough food and propane for our stoves and whatnot um Mm. but we were just there for a week right so we had planned for a week we were also there in september which um is not as cold (laughs) not as cold uh but he was there before like he wasn't there in april right so like it would still be pretty warm for him yeah yeah okay um but I mean, just from doing what I did in Alaska, like I could totally see if someone was not prepared, how it would be, um, it'd be very concerning for a local to see someone just go out into the wilderness with whatever Chris had. Well, and he wasn't like a hunter or anything. No, he had, I can't remember if he got another gun or not. I don't think he had another gun. Actually, like if, if he had he been does. hunting for years, because I know he did have like a gun with him. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that gets but into the story a little bit. <clears throat> from what it sounds like, he is not an experienced hunter. And it's like. It's, and in the movie, it kind of like portrays that. I, mm-hmm. I want to say I recall in the movie, he like tries to hop on a rabbit or something or shoot something and he just like misses and yeah, whatnot. Like if you don't have that experience and you don't have enough rations, like buddy. Mm -hmm. yeah worried yeah yeah so um galleon was just concerned about it but um and he repeatedly tried to persuade him to delay the trip at one point offering to detour to anchorage and buy him suitable equipment and supplies um clearly just trying to help a guy out you know Mm -hmm. um however chris ignored his persistent warnings and refused his offers of assistance um, although Chris did accept a pair of extra tufts, two sandwiches, and a packet of corn chips from Galleon. Wow. Yep. And um, Galleon dropped him off at, uh, or I'm sorry, Galleon dropped him off, believing he would head back towards the highway within a few days as hunger set in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you've ever watched the TV show alone, you know that it's just not it's really not feasible for an amateur, let alone like an actual experienced person to survive out there without like serious food rations. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's so. a thunder. 
I know it's like really coming down right now. <laughs> oh, we're almost Sorry. done. No, you're good. We're almost done. So hopefully your power doesn't go out. So after hiking along the snow-covered stampede trail, Chris came upon an abandoned bus, which was about 28 miles west of Healy, alongside an overgrown section of the trail near Denali National Park. And as I said before, the bus from the movie is at 49th State Brewing Co. in uh, Healy, Alaska. Mm -hmm. And it's a cool spot. Um, Chris, according to Krakauer, attempted to continue, quote, heading west until he hit the Bering Sea, end quote. However, he was deterred by the thick Alaskan bush and returned to the bus where he set up camp and lived off land. He had about 10 pounds of rice, a Remington semi-automatic rifle with 400 rounds of ammunition, a number of books, including one on local plant life, some personal effects, and a few items of camping. Self-portrait photographs and journal entries indicate he forged for edible plants and hunted game, including porcupines, squirrels, and birds, such as ptarmans and Canadian geese. On June 9th, 1992, Chris illegally stalked and shot a moose. However, the meat spoiled within days, and he failed in his efforts to preserve it. Yeah, I remember that as well. And that's something when uh, there's an episode of Alone or a season where the guy who ends up winning shoots a moose, and it is like his biggest headache is preserving it and smoking it within like the time period, as well as like preventing other animals from scavenging off of it. And Mm -hmm. it's like, when you kill really big game, it's like a whole ordeal. Yeah. Versus like, if you just had killed like a a deer, which would have been a lot easier. And Mm -hmm. yeah. So that's rough. Yeah. So get this. It was also speculated that he was responsible for vandalizing several cabins in the area that were stocked with food, survival equipment, and emergency supplies, which which we've learned is in his character when he's desperate. So, yeah, that's not okay because, like, those people use that to survive when they're out and hunt, like, hunting. Like, a lot of people who have cabins and stuff in Alaska, like, live off of the land, too, but they know what they're doing and they have an actual shelter instead of a bus. So, like, stock it up. With Mm -hmm. supplies. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay. (laughs) And so just like side note too, the bus that he's in is known to be like a safety, um, like quote unquote roof over your head for uh, a shelter, like a shelter for hunters, trappers, tourists, what have you. Like Mm -hmm. it, it was put there for a purpose of housing people when they need to like be housed. Um, and so um, the Denali National Park chief, uh, his response to the vandalized cabins um, pretty much just said that it wasn't considered or Chris wasn't considered a viable suspect by the Park Service. So mm-hmm. that's just kind of their response in that. All right. Um, Chris's journal documents, 113 days in the area. In July, after living in the bus for a little over two months, he decided to head back to civilization, but the trail was blocked by the impassable Teklanika River, mm-hmm. swollen with the late summer runoff of the Cantwell Glacier. The water course by that stage was considerably higher and swifter than when he had crossed in April. Mm-hmm. Yep. And again, I've been in that area. 
I've rafted the Ninana River. And all I have to say is if the Teklanika River was anything like or more than the Ninana River, there's no fucking way he's getting across that shit. Because, like, the Ninana River, we whitewater rafted it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was ripping. And, uh, yeah. So, I can completely see how that would be something that's not gonna work out for him. Right. So, um, obviously, he's kind of stuck where he's at, and you're gonna roll your eyes to kingdom come, (laughs) as I tell you this part, too. Uh, He didn't have a detailed topographical map of the region and he was unaware of the existence of an abandoned hand operated cable car that crossed the river that was a half mile downstream from where he was okay i remember this i remember this i remember just like it driving me crazy that he didn't have a good enough map like if you're Mm -hmm. gonna go into an area have a freaking because he could have but yeah like he could have gotten out of the situation had yeah had he had a better map or, you know, especially because it was only like what you said, a mile away. Uh-huh. A half yeah. mile, not yeah. even a mile. So like, what is he, is he, is he not exploring the area to find a better place to cross? Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. You would think like when you start, like he was there for two months. Right. So you would yeah. think like in a half mile, isn't that far to walk? It's really not. So you would think like, over the course of two months of being in like one location, you would kind of explore a little bit and be like, okay, today I'm going to go half mile south and see right. like what's down here. Yeah. And then like the next day you go half mile north and see what's up there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, just kind of like give yourself a good radius of mm-hmm. where you're at. Yeah. But, but uh, okay. Me. All right. <laughs> but that's just me. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, so at this point, Chris headed back to the bus. And by when I say at this point, when he realizes he cannot cross the river, he goes back to the bus and reestablishes his camp. And he posts an SOS note on the bus that states, attention, possible visitors, SOS. I need your help. I am injured, near death, and too weak to hike out. I am all alone. This is no joke. In the name of God, Please remain to save me. I am out collecting berries close by and shall return this evening. Thank you. Chris McCandless, August, question mark, because he didn't know the date. So wait, how did he get injured? It's a great question. And I didn't really say anything about that of the things that I looked into. So mm-hmm. okay. I don't know. I also don't remember him getting injured in the movie. I feel like if, at some point he was. I just don't remember any specifics about it. I just remember, well, yeah, we'll get to it. But anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that I look into and control F does not, it just comes up with that note. So okay. right, it doesn't really say. Um, so yeah, that was that. And um, Chris's final written journal entry was noted as day 107, which simply read, quote, beautiful blueberries, end quote. Days 108 through 112 contained no words and were marked only with slashes. And on day 113, there is no entry. The exact date and time of his death are unknown. Near the time of his death, Chris took a picture of himself waving while holding a written note, which read, I have had a happy life and thank the Lord. 
Goodbye and may God bless all. On so, September 6th. Sorry, go ahead. So he died in August. Mm-hmm. I thought he died in the winter. Like, Mm-mm. oh, honey. <laughs> oh, honey. Oh, man. Did you just think that? Because in the movie, it's like snow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's Alaska. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, yeah, those guys know up there a lot. So. <laughs> um. So on September 6, 1992, moose hunters sought shelter and rest at the bus, which served as a stopping point for hunters, travelers, and trappers for many years. And these two hunters found Chris's deceased body in the abandoned bus. His cause of death was officially ruled to be starvation, although the exact circumstances relating to his death remain the subject of some debate. I believe in the movie, they portray it as he poisoned himself by picking the wrong berries. Yeah. Because I remember the last scene in the movie where he's flipping through his field guide and he sees like whatever berries he picked were mm-hmm. similar to a poisonous berry. And then he kind of like gets wide eyed, like tries to make himself vomit. Yeah. 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 Because I mean, there's all, I don't know about Alaska, but there's a lot of um, like forageable berries and plants that look similar mm-hmm. that some are poisonous and some are not. Um, a lot of it is like mimicry and. Which is why, like, I really would love to learn more about foraging. And I, I'm, like, picking stuff up mentally kind of as I go down here. But, like, I'm too afraid to try a lot of it because I'm, like, I don't want to kill myself. I agree. I recently followed a TikToker who is a mushroom forager because, mm-hmm. like, that's some shit that I want to learn. But I also know that there's a lot of mushrooms that can kill you. Yes. So like, how do you, how do you know? Yeah, I follow this girl on TikTok too. She's the, I think called the Black Forager. She's really awesome. Um, and she was making, she makes a lot of stuff from acorns and like, but you have to soak the acorns first. Otherwise they're poisonous. And I'm like, because soaking them breaks down something in them. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, but for how long? And does it work the same for every species? Because we have different species down here than they do up there. Your mind just starts spinning. It's like, yeah. Because I'm like, we have so many acorns everywhere because we have Mm -hmm. a ton of oak trees. But like, I'm like, are they the right kind? Because I'm like, I want to try it, but I'm scared. (laughs) I don't want to kill us. Anyway, I agree. Yeah. So that's like, unless you're really experienced. You have to be so careful. Yeah. Hi, Waylon. You can do bark at me. Yeah. No. You want to come up here? Come on. Waylon. No. Okay. I'm just gonna wag your tail and stare. Cool. All right. Bye. Now he's just waiting at the door. I feel like. (laughs) Yep. There it is. Oh. Yep. There it is. I was like, I can feel one coming on. Um. All right, Waylon. In or out. So anyway. Um, the bus that he died in, um, obviously gained a lot of attention after the book and the movie were released and, um, it has been removed from its location because so many people who are into the wild enthusiasts trek out to the bus to see it. Mm -hmm. And, um, there have been multiple deaths, which is like, yeah. So for public safety, more or less, is why they removed the bus from its location. Yeah, that's like the whole, like, you know, having caves remain open after people die in them and then other people go in and die, and die as in them. well. And then they're eventually like, all right, all right, we're done. We're done. <laughs> yeah. Golly. It just, like, I can't remember where the bus is. Let me look at that real quick. I just don't understand, like... 
Like if you're just going out to see it, how did you die? Or do you just, are they... a lot of it is that fucking river. Yeah. People get swept away in it. That's really what it is. Cause okay. you have to cross it to get there. Right. And um, if it's running too high then. Yeah. Yeah. What a mess. <sighs> um, let's see here. Backpacker.com. Long before McCandless's final journey into the wild, the magic bus was just bus 142. A 1946 International Harvester K-5 that carted passengers around Fairbanks as part of the city's municipal transit system. In 1961, the Uten Construction Company purchased bus 142, removed the engine, and used a bulldozer to drag it and three other buses out along with what's now the Stampede Trail as temporary housing for its workers who were building an access road between the Alaskan Railroad and a nearby mine. Okay, so that's the history of the bus being out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, this just... is more backpacker.com has a lot of the background of the bus. Um, I'm trying mm-hmm. to figure out where where it um, is now. Yeah, because they yeah. removed it. And I have a vague memory of one of the guides out in Alaska telling me that it was somewhere, but I can't remember where they said. Um, I apparently some of the deaths of the people were frostbite injuries as well. Right, which I'm just like, what how? Unless I guess if they stayed there as well, then yeah. Yeah. Waylon needs attention apparently. Yeah. He doesn't even get fed for like another hour and a half. No, I need to get fed right now, mama. Yeah. Let's see here. As one of only three official state repositories in Alaska and the only one in the interior, the Museum of the North has the staff and the experience to properly care for the artifacts like the bus. Oh, so it's at a museum now. Okay. Called the, mu- called the Museum of the North. Okay. Wow. Interesting. So yeah, um, back to the written parts of the story. So in January 1993, Krakauer published an article about Chris McCandless in that month's issue of uh, Outside Magazine. He had been assigned the story and had written it under a tight deadline. Inspired by the details of McCandless's story, Krakauer wrote the biographical book Into the Wild, which was subsequently adapted into a 2007 film directed by Sean Penn with Emile Hirsch portraying McCandless. That same year, McCandless became the subject of Ron Lamoth's documentary, The Call of the Wild. So there are multiple platforms that you can watch these videos on, movies, and also read the book. so on Wikipedia, there are a few theories of his malnutrition. Mm-hmm. You want me to get into that? Yes. I thought that's pretty interesting because I always assumed that he died of poison, not mm-hmm. like starving. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I did too. So um, Wikipedia has their theories of malnutrition and one is rabbit starvation so in Krakauer's book, Into the Wild, it, he suggests two factors may have contributed to Chris's death. First, he said that Chris was running the risk of, quote unquote, rabbit starvation. Um, rabbit starvation, that Chris probably lean game for nutrition. Okay. I, I've heard that before. We're like, mm-hmm. if you eat too much lean game, like it does something bad, but I don't exactly know. That's you, need, you need fat is what yeah. it is. And the Protein rabbits- poisoning. Yeah. It refers to an acute form of malnutrition caused by a diet deficient in fat, mm-hmm. where all almost all calories consumed come from the lean meat. The concept is discussed in the context of 
paleoanthropological investigations into the diet of ancient humans, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Yeah. So it can't like that. You have to have variants in your diet and with enough protein, enough fat, you have to have balance essentially, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard Good of that. Good to know. Good to yeah. know. Yeah. Um, so Krakauer also speculated that he might've been poisoned by a toxic alkaloid called Swainsonin. Don't know how to pronounce that. Swainsonin? Okay. Sonine? Anyway, so there's a apparently a toxin in a seed mm-hmm. that Krakauer speculated Chris was affected by. Okay. Krakauer also speculated that there could have been a mold that grows on these seeds. Because mm-hmm. um, I guess Chris could have put them in a damp, or put them damp into a plastic bag okay. and uh, could have gotten mold on them or something. So basically a toxin of some sort. Yeah. Okay. Uh, However, in an article in the September 2007 issue of Men's Journal, Matthew Power states that extensive laboratory testing showed there were no toxins or alkaloids present in the seeds that Chris had been eating. Okay. And then Dr. Thomas Clausen, the chair of the chemistry and biochemistry department at University of Alaska Fairbanks, said, quote, I tore that plant apart. There were no toxins, no alkaloids. I'd eat it myself, end quote. Okay. Um, and then as um, Matthew Power puts it, quote, he didn't find a way out of the bush, couldn't catch enough food to survive and simply starve to death, end quote. Right. Um, and then another speculation or hypothesis was that in 2013, a new hypothesis was proposed Wow, people are really into this. 2013, mm-hmm. they're coming out with new shit. Um, Ronald Hamilton, a retired bookbinder at the Indiana University of Pennsylvania, suggested a link between the symptoms described by McCandless and the poisoning of Jewish prisoners in the Nazi concentration camp in Vapnearka. Oh, I can't pronounce that either. Um, <laughs> sorry. So, um, so what? <laughs> yeah. So what, was he like gassed or like what, what does that mean? ODAP, a toxic amino acid had not been detected by the previous studies of the seeds because they had suspected and tested for toxic alkaloid rather than an amino acid. Mm, okay. and nobody had previously suspected that the seeds contained the ODAP toxin for sure. It's a structural analog of the neurotransmitter glutamate found in the grass pea. Okay. It, uh, it's the neurotoxin responsible for the motor neuron degeneration syndrome, Lefari- Lefariism. Krakauer points out McCainless's field guide did not warn of any dangers of eating the seeds, which were not yet known to be toxic. Mm. Krakauer suspects this is the meaning of McCainless's journal entry of July 30th, which states, quote, extremely weak, fault of potato seed, much trouble to stand up, starving, great jeopardy, end quote. Yeah, which is like why I think they ended up portraying him as being poisoned because it, yeah. it seems like it was something that came on pretty quickly, even if he was already kind of in starvation mode. Mm-hmm. Like having some going through something like that and not having the energy to like survive it might be why he eventually perished. Because, I mean, you can survive some stuff like that if you are able to, if you have enough, you know, 
energy and food from previously, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? But yeah, what a mess. What a mess. Yeah. So I guess in September of 2013, Krakauer published an article in the New Yorker that was following up on these claims. Um, and essentially a concentration well within the levels known to cause this uh, reaction in humans. Um, Mm -hmm. Although the interpretation of the results were disputed by other chemists, the article notes that while occasional ingestion of foodstuffs containing ODAP is not hazardous for healthy individuals eating a balanced diet, individuals suffering from malnutrition, Mm -hmm. stress, and acute hunger are especially sensitive to this and are thus highly susceptible to um, this reaction, the effects of it. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah. So it's probably a mix of things, right? Rough, rough way to go for sure. Yeah. Bad way to go for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, then we get into the legacy part of the Wikipedia, which we all kind of know that as, you know, his movie, the bus, what have you. So, mm-hmm. okay. It, oh, they actually just removed it last year, June 18th night, or I almost said 1920, <laughs> June 18th, 2020 is when they removed the bus because they deemed it a public safety issue after at least 15 people had to be rescued that's and too at least many. two people died while attempting to cross the river to reach that's, the bus that's too many people yeah the thing is though if, even without the bus there people are still going to try to go they're still going to try to go they are you know because mm-hmm. it's still like hollowed ground or whatever so yeah but hey guys the bus is at the university of alaska fairbanks um, Museum of the North. So maybe go there instead. <laughs> yeah, go through the Museum of the North at the Ala- University of Alaska Fairbanks. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. that's safer. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Yeah. It's a, it's, I mean, it is a tragedy and it's not like I want this, wanted this individual to die or anything like that, but it's just so frustrating how many things like could have saved him in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and how he just seemed like he was just so inexperienced, did not do his research. Like, oh, he's got to do your research. I mean, people don't survive out in the wilderness unless they are very, very prepared, especially in the Alaskan wilderness. Well, let's just say that some people agree with you. Mm-hmm. And uh, some people try to be a little bit more graceful to the situation. Which, like, I understand. Like, it's especially because I, I think there was some mental illness going on as well. And that's always hard, but even like, I don't know, he was, he was of sound mind. I think when he entered the Alaskan bush, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And he could have, he could have prepared more. He could have accepted help from people, warnings from people who live there, you know, and mm-hmm. it seems like he just thought he was going to, because you know, he could do anything. Right. Yeah. And that's Mother Nature. She's a bitch. She'll kill ya. She'll kill ya. She absolutely will. And she does not care about you at all. <laughs> like, you are not important in that sense. So, no. Yeah. It's something, I guess, to be aware of. And I get it. Most days I want to go off the grid too. But if I ever do, it's going to be very, very well prepared. <laughs> Yeah, whenever I feel the need to go off the grid, I just go camping for a little bit and I take like someone with me. Yeah. Or, or my dog. 
if I ever go off the grid, I'm building myself a freaking house before I officially am like, okay, bye. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm still going to be in contact with my family and I understand his family was different, but I'm going to still be able to like call for help if need be, because everybody needs help. Yeah. You know? Not a, you, no one is completely self-sufficient. At this point, I don't think my little blood pressure would let me go off grid. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Pass well, out every morning. Do you have any um, citations that you want to do? Uh, I kind of covered them in the beginning, but it was really just Wikipedia, a few Chris McCandless Wikipedia, and then uh, all that is interesting slash Chris McCandless. And then uh, if you want to go into the wild Wikipedia, mm-hmm. there's some stuff on there too. Okay. Well, um, with that, let's uh, talk about happy things. Happy things. Christmas is coming. Mm-hmm. Like that. I'm going to be home soon. This will be nice. My mom's coming down on Tuesday to drive home with me on Wednesday. It's nice. Yeah. Making yeah. sure I don't pass out in the process. Oh it's my great. God. <laughs> yeah, I think that's my uh, happy thing too uh, is that I'm going home soon and uh, it's going to be nice. So I'll go overdue. But also that I pretty much have this weekend to myself because Corey is up in Austin. So nice. it's been nice to finally like have a break and just be able to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it. So um, that's been, it's going to be a nice, nice little weekend. All right. Sounds like a nice little weekend. Um, where can our listeners find us? You guys can find us on the socials at Instagram at Mother Nature Will Be Podcast or on Twitter at MNWKY Podcast. Also on the interwebs at Mother Nature And then if you want to have a listening platform, we're on Spotify, Apple, Google, use Anchor as our main platform to upload, and Anchor distributes it everywhere. You can also listen on Anchor. So yeah, just give us a little Google search and you can probably find us anywhere. Yeah. Um, and like we said before, you can submit a story. We have a submission page on um, the website. Um, and like I said, you uh, don't have to go off the grid to uh, make the podcast. But if you have gone off the grid, and um, please let us know. Uh, we want to know about it. Um, mm-hmm. And then if you want to help out the podcast, you can leave us five-star reviews on any of the listening platforms. Um, And basically what it does is just bump us up the ratings so that we can reach more people um, Mm -hmm. and get more uh, personal survival stories. So, all right. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Um, Happy New Year, if I don't say it. Happy New Year. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, hope you're having a great time with your family. Um, I'm glad we could um, hopefully make your holidays a little bit brighter. And by brighter, we mean um, merrier, kind of, even though we're talking about <laughs> awful things. But if you're into that kind of thing, a new episode's fun, you know? <laughs> yeah. This is our Christmas present to you. Yeah. Um, okay. So um, with that, until next time. Stay safe, but most of all, stay curious, explorers. See you later. Goodbye.